Hello and welcome to this pretty good edition of the Get Your Film Fix <laughs> podcast. Uh, I am Jeremy yeah, Fisk, joined by Lee Carlo and Chapin Hemingway. We are going to do a double feature today. We're going to do our 2000s uh, uh, movies, but uh, we're doing both Traffic and Aaron Brockovich. The reason being, both directed by Steven Soderbergh in 2000. He was uh, actually nominated for Best Director for both of those movies. He ended up winning for Traffic. And then we're going to wrap it up with a top five today, which is a little bit difficult to explain. Um, Lee, do you have a succinct way of saying this top five? I do. Um, It's just like the greatest year, right? Like the greatest. But but it's not years. We're not going to be like 1960. No, but the greatest single year for a person. Who had it like? For a person, for a director, an actor. A la um, Steven Soderbergh's year 2000 was enormously impressive. Um, You have no actual training. I have kids. Learned a lot right there. Yeah, and I'm great with people. When I was first out of high school, I got married and had a kid too young. I'm an extremely fast learner. You got a really nice office. Look. You want my number. I do. How about this for number six? That's how old my daughter is. Eight is the age of my son. Two is how many times I've been divorced. Sixteen is the number of dollars I have in my bank account. I'm so glad we got that out of the way, because I didn't find you attractive either. Then we're even. (laughs) I'm smart, I'm hardworking, and I'll do anything, and I'm not leaving here without a job. Don't make me beg. In a law firm, you may want to rethink your wardrobe a little. Well, as long as I have one ass instead of two, I'll wear what I like, if that's all right with you. You might want to rethink those ties. All right, guys. So uh, we're making our way through our 2000s movies. And I have to say, up to this point, I mean, it's it's a very impressive year. Um, you know, obviously, everyone talks about 1999, and we did the... We did that year before this, that's sort of what started this idea Been is revisiting those the t-shirt. Exactly. Those uh, movies from 1999. Um, but here we get Steven Soderbergh directing two movies that year, Traffic and Aaron Brockovich, uh, both very highly acclaimed. And we'll get into sort of Soderbergh and his process and what he does as a director and what he's known for. But I know we wanted to sort of direct this conversation between Traffic and Aaron Brockovich in a way where we're talking about both of these movies at once. So an easy way to do that is sort of uh, to ask you guys what comparisons between these two movies did you see both stylistically and thematically that you could sort of latch on to? And we can kind of go from there and dissect like what what we saw uh, of these two movies as Soderbergh films. If you look at them knowing what we know about Soderbergh, then I think you can not really draw comparisons, but see how they fit in his career and on his resume. I well, mean, do, he's... You, do you think they're so different that you... You might as well have been a different director, or yeah, were there little? Kind of. Okay, so um, we can get I, into that. But yeah, were I there little things here or there, or anything that you saw uh, as as sort of his style? Honestly, I didn't pick up on a lot. You guys, I'm sure, may mention some, and I'm going to be like, "Oh yeah, that that uh, that's what I was going to say." But um, really, like I looked at these two movies, and I never really thought of these two movies this way. But I was like, "These are." microcosms of how how his career has worked where it's oceans 11 followed by the girlfriend experience and it's it's you know commercials basic filmmaking followed by experimental filmmaking and i and i and i think these movies capture that in their own way and both are you know maybe in some cases elevated versions of that we'll get into that but um yeah, kind of, I looked at it more interestingly. Like this is just this is what we've always seen from Soderbergh. Found a good quote from that, Lee. You basically just summed it up, but I might as well read it. For Aaron Brockovich, Soderbergh simplified his formal approach and foreground story, 
and performance, while in Traffic he continued his early experiments and fragmented narratives. Taken together, the films can be seen as laying the foundations for the work that followed. Abundant productivity balancing mainstream crowd-pleasers with experimental personal projects. Yeah, and it's interesting because Traffic... When you think about Steven Soderbergh and experimental, traffic doesn't necessarily come to mind, though. I mean, no. it's a big cast. It's a bigger, it's a Hollywood movie. It's an ensemble piece. It's experimental for such a big movie. I mean, it is. This, this, it is. But, this and Aaron, Aaron Brockovich is more expensive, but they're both big budget movies. Yeah, they're both big budget system movies. Um, Traffic it definitely is more experimental, but it's not in the way that like High Flying Bird is, right. uh, no, or Girlfriend Experience, or Unsane, uh, or yeah, yeah, all that sort of stuff. I mean, he's still <clears throat> sticking with, um, you know, he 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 know he's working with the material, the screenplay that was given to him, which was we can talk about um, for sure because I mean that also won for uh, best writing. I will, I will say, to answer your question a little bit, Jeremy, I do think that there's a connection between the two movies in the sense that there's, they're kind of both somewhat about, you know, mistrust of institutions. Um, yes. You know, like navigating the legal uh, world with Aaron Brockovich and how difficult that can be and how, um, you know, it kind of reveals... I, I think there's movies that do it better, but it kind of review, reveals how difficult it can be to actually get a settlement in these, in these um, kind of situations. And it also revealed how people can, or how companies can pollute and, um, you know, poison people. A civil action uh, came out a year before this, a similar sort of story. Um, and, you know, traffic is kind of about the failure of the, the war on drugs for sort of similar reasons. You know, these, these sort of systems not really working to protect the people they were intended to. Yeah, I think uh, that's a good point. I mean, the the sort of faceless enemy in both of them is this is the big business or the system or the government or something that you can't see, and all you see in this in the movies is the people on the ground trying to either fight that system or work within that system. So, uh, any other little things here or there you noticed i mean there's one small thing that i noticed is his fades were mm. very similar both yeah. traffic and aaron yeah. brockovich were you ex- almost expecting a commercial <laughs> um and it just i'm like no this is a you know this is a rental this is a dvd why would this uh, fade fade to commercial here but um I but stylistically it... stylistically they're very different and yeah. traffic is very influential in the way that it was filmed and now it almost seems like a bit uh, stereotypical in a, in a weird way. You know, you shoot Mexico with this yellow haze. Right. And, um, <laughs> you, you've seen that since then, but that was definitely the first time that had been done, and it was done to such an extreme. Yeah, you um, have those contrasting, like the, the really sort of almost ugly blues contrasted with the um, sort of almost sepia tone. Yeah, Mexico those blues are like, did he forget to white balance? Right. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. It's, Holy it's, it's blue. really. Yeah. I like it though. I have I to do be honest. Too. And like, it was really I think it's original. Really at the effective. Time. And I'll, I'll say this about that. And this is one of my first notes. And you know, we talk about Soderbergh a lot. I think, and I think we both. I mean, we all agree that he's talented. I don't know how we all feel about him, and like particularly like where we'd rank him among our favorite directors. But you know, I think. Uh, He's he's obvi- he's innovative. He's creative. He tries new things, and I think that's what we appreciate him for. But traffic is traffic is an example where all of that innovation and creativity came together in a in a, a way that's so much more than just oh I see what he's doing. That's a cool trick. I you know uh, that's a neat experiment. Like here, it felt like it was part of the movie. It felt so much more than an experiment. We keep calling it experimental filmmaking. But I just loved. I mean, the color palette, of course, is the most obvious thing. But like, the some of the handheld work with the camera, some yeah. of the like. The, you know the what stuff I noticed? Was so good. And, you know and what I so noticed effective. this time? I'm sorry. Um, is the real people in it? Like, there's a lot of real politicians in that scene when he mm-hmm. is walking around, and I think like all the kind of I guess we'd call them like deep state people. Those like 
bureaucrats who are in charge of the border. I think those are all real, the real people in those jobs at that time. But you've got like Senator Baxter in that, um, in that scene. There's a lot of real politicians. Yeah, it's the scene where he becomes the drug czar and right. he's walking around at the party and everyone's giving their oh, two right. cents yeah, yeah, and yeah. he's sort of exhausted by everybody's little opinions of what to do because they're all contradictory. Michael Douglas um, and character. Yeah. Michael Douglas character, yes, correct. I do think um, it's interesting comparing these two movies, and you guys brought up the cinematography. You know, he shot Traffic, but he didn't shoot Aaron Brockovich. Um, and I don't know, I find that interesting. Like, you know, as if Traffic needed a more, like a stronger touch or something. It seems You'd like... You'd almost think it would be the opposite. Though. Yeah, like it'd be easier to do Aaron Brockovich, but... Right. Um, if he's just going to shoot his own movie. Yeah. And famously, he goes on... I think he... I think he shoots pretty much everything... Well, yeah, pretty much everything else. He uses um, the pseudonym Peter Andrews. Yep. Which I love when, like, the Coens do that with Roderick Janes. No, no, what's another point that... Uh, point of comparison between these two movies is every decision he makes whether it's the extremes in traffic um of the cinematography and the color or just the sort of basic filmmaking not ba- i don't want to say basic in a bad way but just the the straight filmmaking of Aaron Brockovich is every decision serves the story it's not flashy you're absolutely it, right it's not there because it's experimental or it's trying to do something that we've never seen. Right, and that's it's, what my it's point there was to serve traffic. the story. Yeah. And even at, in, with Aaron Brockovich, he could have gone, you know, grittier with that movie, and he could have shot shot it in a similar way if he wanted to. Yeah, he could have done we all were, sorts of shit with light, like dark lighting and stuff. Like when he, she gets threatening phone well, calls and like get, or, mood or when, music and like. <clears throat> Whenever she's in that the small town, that Hillsboro or whatever it is, like you could have shot yeah. that with a, a very <laughs> yeah, he could have like, like it, Mexico, you know. Um, but it wouldn't have served that story that he was trying to tell there. Whereas Traffic, it did, and I think I think that's who Soderbergh kind of is as a director. He's not looking to just put a style together just because it's his style or as to you know as, as we talk about auteurs or how whatever you want to define that he he has the story he wants to tell and he tells that story it might even be why he's able to get through so many movies so quickly and shoot him so quickly is because he doesn't overthink it he's like what is this story what does this scene need and yeah. then goes well, from there I think that's definitely true with traffic and that was kind of my point I was like this he's he's doing what needs to be done to serve the story he's not He's not necessarily following a style that he sticks with. Um, but where I'll disagree is just with his... I don't think that he is always necessarily picking a style to serve the story. And these these movies may be an exception to that. But I do think sometimes he just picks a style to play with a style. Okay, like, fair, that, fair, enough, I mean? like, fair enough. But uh, in these two movies, I think we're all in agreement that his choices paid off. Oh, I agree. Um, I'm wondering, guys, do you think, um, I, I, I just thought of this, but do you, do you think his decision to not shoot Aaron Brockovich has anything to do with the performance of, I, I, I mean, Julia Roberts? So I, I, do, I do want to give a little background for our audience. Um, it's very unusual for a director to be his own cinematographer. And from this point on, I believe he's almost every movie he's made. He's his own cinema. He shoots his own movies, and also he edits a lot of them too. Um, his his pseudo name is Mary Ann Bernard. You'll probably like that, uh, Lee. Um, but it's very. It's I think that's very uncommon. There's not a lot of people who do that. So, anyways, the reason I ask is that I I think that I was sort of surprised how great a performance Julia Roberts gives in Aaron Brockovich and. Um, you know, it's not, it's not one, it's not a big, really big performance in the sense that she's got a lot of like, you know, it's not like the Revenant. She doesn't go through a whole lot or whatever, but, um, I think it's a really convincing performance and I don't normally like her as an actress. Um, and I wonder if, you know, Soderbergh thought he needed to focus a little bit more on, on her. On directing a performance. Yeah. Then, then, I mean, you've got this ensemble piece in traffic with all these like really, really great actors um 
solid performers and they're all in these sort of like, you know, I assume very small snippets of production, you know, a couple days here and there. I, I wonder if the Aaron Brockovich one just required a little more of his attention as a director. Cause I just, I can never imagine, you know, the little bit of directing I've done. I can't imagine having to worry about the camera while you're doing everything else. It just seems like a, a burden that's unnecessary. Well, I think that's a great point. Jason. It's a great point because the biggest difference between these two movies is I think tra- what traffic is a much more visceral, experience it's obviously an ensemble piece but it's it's much i think in terms of you know what i'm watching and what i'm enjoying about it it's much more about what soderbergh is doing as a director what he's doing with his camera what he's doing in the editing room um and all that and the performances aid that but they're all essentially supporting performances whereas aaron brockovich is in many ways a vehicle for performances um julie roberts is very good in in it we'll get a little bit more i'm sure much more into her and that character in particular, but Albert Finney is very good. Oh my Aaron God. Eckhart is very good. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, it's it's there are movies that are vehicles for performances. They're sort of built in a way to highlight what the actor is doing, and they rely on that and they hinge on that. And oftentimes, if it doesn't work, the movie doesn't work. So, you're I think you're absolutely right, Chapin, and he may have had the very good foresight of recognizing that performances were going to make or break Aaron Brockovich. So he needed to make sure he got the best out of his actors and he needed to focus on that. So he hires somebody else. So I think that's a very astute thought. Um, to chime in, I, I agree. Uh, I was surprised at how much I liked Julia Robertson at this time around. I'd seen it originally and I don't remember loving her in it. And, um, you know, we all have our sort of thoughts of who Julia Roberts is. She's almost, you know, more than an actor. She's a personality, a movie, movie star, star yeah, you know. Seen, yeah. um, <clears throat> so seeing her play against type like this was really fun, and she was really natural in it. Like, I, I sort of had these memories of her really pushing that that sort of against type uh, character and it not feeling very natural, but I, I, I certainly was wrong when I initially had seen this because I think she's really good. Okay, but can th- this will get us more into the movies in particular. She's good in it, but the character of Aaron Brockovich to me is also the problem with this movie and the biggest problem and ultimately what made me not like it is I hated Aaron. She's a jerk. Like, like her her motivations for the way she behaves in this movie are are unjustified and as a result i just continuously hated her and that makes the movie not work because i remember watching this movie for the first time and thinking the story was interesting but once you know that that becomes a little less interesting than the second time so now you're left with what i said before kind of a vehicle for performances which were good but the character the main character the one you're following the entire movie i felt like was kind of a jerk and was wrong a lot of the time I, mean, I, I think that's part of it, though. That makes her character, and Julia Roberts makes her sympathetic. I mean, I, 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 I see what you're saying. Yeah. There were definitely times when she was wrong, but I think that's part of her character. And but I never I found think, it sympathetic. I, that's the and that's easily an, an understandable difference, I think, depending on how you view this movie. But well, I mean, she. I, I think she is a very sympathetic character. I mean, you 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 sympathize with the plight she's going through. Um, so you know that's part of the reasoning why she gets maybe overly angry or this or that because she's a single mom and, and she has no money and raising kids. And you, and then when she starts becoming successful, she really seems to care about those people that she's trying to help. Okay, but – and that's fine. She, You can sympathize with the fact that she's kind of been shit on and she's got three kids she's trying to raise on her own. And – you can understand how she really feels for the families that she's trying to help and invests fully in them. That's all fine. But all the other people that she's working with, she treats like shit. She extorts her way into this job that she's unqualified for and then gets pissed because all the other people around her don't like the fact that she has this job. Then, I just think it's funny that you're you're latching onto her coworkers and they weren't even Albert Finney. The like the but, two okay. women Okay, but take the scene towards the end where this these other set of lawyers come in and this woman who was very poor, this other character that was very poorly written. Yeah, that um, was bad. That was but bad. but she's like, you know, you haven't done uh, you haven't done a lo- uh, all the work in your 
on your files, on your research. And she's like, you don't even have your phone numbers of, of the clients written down. And she rattles off this rather impressive scene with the phone numbers she has memorized and uh, the diseases that everybody has. And I'm like, yeah, you should still fucking write it down. You're not doing this by yourself. What if yeah, somebody else needs to call call these she's people? Not, like, yeah. No, I agree. So, and I felt that too at certain points. But that wasn't enough for me to be like, oh, I don't like this character. See, for me, it was just consistent. Like cons- every time I saw her sneer at somebody or yell at somebody, I was like, they gave you no reason to behave this way. Like, so she... To me, I, she just felt like a jerk, and I really had a hard time sympathizing with her as this movie went on and on, and it hurt the movie for me, unfortunately. She, Julia Roberts is good in it. I think it's her best performance. She plays the role well. The character, the way the character is written, I felt was unsympathetic. Mm. I think that might be just a trope of the time. You know, she's kind of, that's her thing. She's kind of wacky, and that's the way it's, you're right, it's the way it's Maybe. written. She's just a little out there and brash and that's her thing um yeah and i agree it is of the time like i think because of when this came out you don't see many characters like that and it's like the fact that she can be in your face was a little different yeah i i agree i think a lot of those moments were not my favorite and probably just detracted from the film a lot you know but um i would just say yeah i think focusing on the better moments um I really, yeah, I really enjoyed her her character, and I had a lot of sympathy for her. Like, I, I looked back at this movie as kind of like this, you know, those. It feels like a trope. I can't like give you another example of another movie like this, but like you know, these weird biopics we had at this time where they were of people you never heard of, but they did something right. significant, and they had a personality quirk that stood out that made them interesting to make a movie about. And I think at this time, you know, when you're when you're making a movie where the title of uh, of it is a person's name who we've never heard of. Um, you know, it's, it's, you've got to kind of make the case for why we're interested enough to watch a, an entire movie about this woman. And I think they sort of up the personality factor and that, you know, that helps. Um, Overall though, did you, did you like the movie Chapin? Yes, I did. I yeah, did. I, I, I did too. I, I was surprised. But do I don't you think guys it, think it's take take my criticisms of of the character out of it? Like, what's what's so great about this movie? Like, it's just it feels very run of the mill to me. Like, it's just it's an interesting story. But like I said, I knew the story, so that became a little less interesting. So I can um, understand maybe first time seeing it, it's like, oh wow, like this is a kind of an amazing uh, lawsuit that happened. But th- it I just mean, felt a little bit formulaic to me and totally just... I, I i completely agree i just i don't i think it's um good yeah, performances yeah. in a vehicle for performances i mean if that's their, is, that's fine too this is like the this is like your the argument for um for uh insomnia two weeks ago it's like it's i think what i i, I mean we can get into what we love about soderbergh or, or don't love about him but what i really like what I find fascinating about him as a filmmaker is his, you know, he is this very unique, you know, kind of singular talent in that what, you know, that he does stuff. But we talked about this a little bit on high flying bird that I, you know, sometimes it seems like he just wants to work to work, you know, that he just wants to keep busy. And my guess is, and I, I, you feel it. This is a perfect example this year is you've got this kind of, you know, a somewhat groundbreaking, interesting movie with, with, um, traffic but then you've got a more conventional movie with Aaron Brockovich and I think it, it just feels like he's there to work and he's getting it done and he's doing a great job um, but the movie he's not elevating the movie just like you know I don't think Nolan is bringing his Nolanness to insomnia you know he's not making this isn't a Soderbergh movie it doesn't feel unique in that way and that's fine it's just this kind of I mean I would even argue that the the ocean movies which come after this are all even th- he brings more to they're those more stylistic movies. yeah definitely totally. they're more interesting and they're f- more fun um and this is much more conventional and maybe he had a maybe he had something to prove in the sense that like he could make a movie like this um is there I, i'm not going to ask the like who's the director that could do something differently with that because that's always hard to do on the spot but like is aaron brockovich a movie that could have been more transcendent in a way 
I don't know if I'd want By it infusing to be. a style of some Wait, kind. Say, say that is, again, ask that question it, one more time. Is, is Aaron Brockovich, is the story that's told here, is this script in the hands of somebody else, or even if Soderbergh decided to do it differently, is it is it a transcendent movie if if there's some more style infused in this? Or is, is, is this the best movie it could possibly be because it was sort of left alone, for lack of a better term? I think the the second option. I think this is the best this movie really could get because they, like, Soderbergh didn't try to elevate it, for lack of better term. Right. Yeah. Like, he just took the story and he presented it and he, he kept his eye on the ball and what that is is sympathetic characters and relationships. And that's what we want to know. I mean, the story itself, we hope it turns out well. We kind of figure it's going to turn out well. But we care about, I mean, at least I I cared about Brockovich's uh, journey. I cared about Albert Finney's journey. I cared about those two relationship together. I liked that. And then, and then I cared about the the people who were involved, even though they were smaller parts. He just did that simply and did it well. And I don't think there really could have been much else there. How that... do you feel about the Aaron Eckhart character and, and their relationship? Okay, I felt I, at, at first I really liked it when he started to turn. I felt I, it's the same thing you had with the Aaron Brockovich character. I think it was just like I felt he was a little whiny. Oh and... man, this is like because I'm the complete, and it shows you how, how you feel about Aaron Brockovich in this movie yeah. makes the difference. Because I was like, I would fucking leave if I was him too. He's like this nice guy that like offers to help watch her kids, and then he just raises her kids. And, like, never sees her, yeah, who he no, certainly right. falls in love with. You're right. Like, I thought about the same thing. But that <laughs> the way that the, they went up against each other, and it could have been the performances, and the way that, you know, he decided to deliver that, there was something about it that just felt a little off and felt a little distracting coming from Eckhart, especially. What a no, funny actor. Like, he, like, he, like look, he is so... I liked him a lot in this. and He's I fucking, good, but, like, I you can still... I like them in this too, but you can still almost see watching it. Like you're watching it, you're like, man, this guy is like almost a really good actor. But like he's just, this is like one of his better performances I've seen him in. I really like him in Thank You for Smoking. Um, but like I just watch him and I'm just like, God, like this is a good role for him. He should stick with movies like this, which he probably has. And I'm like, this guy, it's just like, I just don't love him. Like I feel like he's not a great actor. Like he's just doing enough. Yeah, but he's uh, he's doing enough to make you think like he maybe could be better, but maybe he's just not. Um, but yeah, I well, thought yeah. he was good in this. I will say they didn't oversell, which I really appreciated, especially with the uh, retrospect of you know 2020. They they didn't oversell like her. I, I thought they very convincingly <clears throat> made it clear that it illustrated her desperation as a single mother. Um, I thought that was done really well. You know, it, 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 that that didn't get into the kind of hyperbolic kind of over the top outbursts. You know, she she's really just stressed out. She's doing her best, um, and I, I I thought that that stuff was really well done, and it made me kind of sympathize for her because, you know, she's just got this these monkeys on her back, literally, like these three just. Yeah. overwhelming kids in this kind of really difficult situation and you start to understand her character a little bit more and I thought that that was really well done especially for a movie that came out 20 years ago I, I will say I loved as much as I kind of hated her outbursts and like the whole idea of her going in and feeling like she's entitled to a job because the lawyer said it would be okay is annoys me but she basically like screams at him that she needs this job but then she whispers don't make me beg if I suck you can fire me and I really liked that that was like this one very human moment of hers that I really appreciated and I wish there was more of that because that made her very sympathetic that that showed her desperation rather than just this arrogance entitlement that I felt like she employed throughout the whole movie yeah I think to go back to your question Lee I I think this the reason this is sort of the perfect version of this is because I can't really think of how a director could elevate it, but I can see so many ways in which this thing could have gone wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and gone sappy and gone over the top with scenes like... Especially with can, her, especially with... 
oh yeah, yeah. like the breakup scene could have been just like this there there could have been so many scenes that just wouldn't work i mean imagine if if cameron crow had directed this you know like <laughs> then we'd have the end of jerry Maguire through the whole movie oh, like yeah. it's just be and and that's where this really could have taken a turn but Soderbergh just stayed so level with it and didn't try to do too much that he just let the performances and what story that was there sort of lay out to the audience and that that worked I did find um, that final scene really not the final scene but the scene where she tells uh, the family how much money they're getting I thought that was a really nice scene Yeah, that was, can, can we talk about the better movie now yeah. yeah, can I just say this one just to to answer um, Lee's question? I, I was just trying to think like what director like might elevate it, and I think what the hell is the name of that movie? Um, the one with uh, Steve Carell where he plays the Dupont guy. Um, yeah, uh, Bennett Miller. Yeah, so I think, and I don't like, I don't think that movie works, but I think ball. that right, but I don't think that movie works. Right. Um, and I think that movie is sort of the same thing. An odd version of this, yeah. An odd version of this elevated. You know what I was thinking is, I'd like to, uh, you know, you say this a lot, Lee, but what about uh, uh, Michael Mann following up Insider with this? You know, doing kind of the same thing he did in Insider in this movie. Oh, that could it's be an idea, yeah. But they're yeah, but that's totally a different like, movie. Totally she's different like, movie. You know, yeah. <laughs> over the shoulder, like yeah, a lot of over the shoulder shots. Have, sitting, every, sitting in her living room with, with both uh, Aaron Miller, Eckhart. Aaron Eckhart's both, banging on the door. Open the fucking door. Bennett Miller and and Michael Mann. We have to underexpose everything by at least a stop. <laughs> uh, the, those Southern California vistas are way too way too hot for those two. And a lot of interest in this town. FBI, CIA, DEA, ATF, IRS. Right now they're scared of you. I know everyone that you're going to meet. I know what they want and why. Anything else? No, sir. They brought him to Washington to win a war. Will we get invited to the White House? Well, I don't know about that, honey. None of my friends can freaking believe my dad's actually the drug czar. We need to take down one of these cartels. They took her husband to send a message. What is going on? They came into the house. They just took him away. The DEA's got it. Do not discuss anything over the telephone. How am I going to survive this? They apprehended a witness to win their case. We hired drivers with nothing to lose and throw a lot of product at the problem. This has worked for years. I have actual dreams about this. About busting the top people, rich people, my people. <laughs> and they paid an informant to get the truth. And Mexico law enforcement is an entrepreneurial activity. You should feel good about this. I feel like a traitor. But the war they thought they had won. You might want a pencil and a little FaceTime with your daughter. See? Now you see. Let's do some more. Is just beginning. It's funny you mentioned Michael Mann and the insider because there's some there's some Michael Mann lighting and music in traffic. Totally. There's a lot of similarities. Good here. segue. Um I was like, I, I, I kept going back to that scene when Russell Crowe's waiting to go into the deposition in The Insider, and he's just like outside this courtroom for 20 minutes. That only a scene only Michael Mann could choose to do and then successfully execute. Um, but there's a lot of this and that, a lot of that in this movie because there's a lot of waiting and standing around and like waiting to see what's going to happen. And I think that's that's really interesting about this movie. I love there's a. I've been rewatching The Wire. Um, there's a scene. Jeez. There's a line in. There's a line. Do you not like The Wire, Chapin? Just go ahead. Let's not get into it. Oh my! Yeah, that's God. a whole other podcast right there. Jesus, that might be multiple podcasts. Um, there's a line in The Wire in the first season of The Wire where um, they're talking about the war on drugs, and they, one of the uh, cops says, "This isn't a war. Wars end." And that's kind of what traffic is about here. And I love that about this movie that you 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 get no resolution that you'd get in a typical movie in this movie. Nobody wins. Nobody really, I mean, you get a couple of people that lose cause you know, with, like Louise Guzman's character dies, of course. And yeah. Um, can I, Dennis, can I ask, Dennis Quaid loses? <laughs> oh, definitely. Can I ask you guys a question? Um, I, I was, you know, I've obviously seen this movie a couple times and, um, I, I, I like it a lot and I still do. 
I actually found the structure of the of the screenplay, the sort of crashness of it, mm-hmm. to be very very well done. Um, Gagan, Stephen Gagan, does something similar in his own movie, Syriana. Um, but I was wondering if you guys felt like that aspect of it was a little too. It, it didn't bother me because I think the idea is like all these things are sort of connected, and we sort of see the different channels that this drug trade flows into um the one the one the one issue that kind of raised my feelers a little bit was the michael douglas's daughter aspect of it like he becomes he becomes the sort of drug czar and then she it's too convenient it's i mean i don't want to say that because like i i get the under i get the I, i think the 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 sort of um, symbolic nature of it, the sort of you know the what we learn from that, the sort of the the, the outcome of that is is powerful, but um, the irony of it is powerful. But it's a little it's a little too convenient, I think. Well, it's the only storyline with an arc, really. Is yeah. Michael Douglas's storyline. Well, um, I mean, um, Benicio, Benicio has del one. Toro yeah. yeah, that's true. Although that uh, surprisingly, the Benicio del Toro storyline was the one I was least interested in this time around. Um, uh, no it's sort way. of always been one that I really liked. I I really was I liked the Catherine Zeta Jones, Don Cheadle, Luis Guzman storyline uh, a lot. I really enjoyed that. Um, but with the Michael Douglas storyline, I mean that that won me over in the end. Um, not so much the press conference he has where he leaves. I thought that scene was really unnecessary. It's it's when he's at the support group with his daughter. And, and just that one line where he says, we're here to support our daughter. And then he also just says, and we're here to listen. I think that's such a powerful line. Shows that his character has changed. It shows that he he took the job that he has with an absolutely different outlook on what needed to be done. And that he, he just has no understanding of what this world is. And he's there to listen. I thought that that line of dialogue said a lot about that entire storyline. I really appreciated it. I, I agree. I, 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 and, and like I said, I think all the outcomes from it are, are powerful and necessary. I just think, I think that, I think there was a smarter way for him to learn that lesson. I mean, smarter from a filmmaking perspective. Sure. Than but just, here's the, here's the problem. Chapin is we have whatever, six storylines. Sure. How do you do that quick enough? And powerful enough. Well, I think he. Does, I mean, he goes on that tour. Number. He goes on that tour of of all the of all the facilities, and they are all talking to him about how everything they're doing isn't working. And so he, I think, he learns the lesson there. It's not like he's, you know, he learns that not, all their tools are ineffective, and then he comes back, and his daughter's addicted to drugs. Those things are, I mean. They're related, but they're not necessarily... But the way that the screenplay is structured is you see her drug use before you really even understand her relationship to him. True, yeah, so that's true. You're, you're introduced to her as sort of a separate entity, and then the, the screenplay brings them together. I thought it was really effective. Um, but my, my favorite storyline is still Benicio del Toro. Mm-hmm. There's just something about that performance that's so, so unbelievably so sympathetic. Good. It's so good, yeah, it's so good. So guys, I, you're, yeah. I was wondering, is he, does he have an arc? Because I, I always thought he was, throughout the movie, 100% good. He was always at least trying to do the right thing. Does he no, kind I don't of, think he does. Yeah, is he, that he, is that not the case? I, I, yeah, he kind of his first like he immediately so he's given given this offer to basically um, capture Clifton Collins Jr. Yeah, Frankie Flores. So he he's offered that job by basically by the cartel. Like he know but he, he says no, it's the he general. I don't knows. know if he but he doesn't know that. I don't I think, think he knows does. that at the time. Also, by the he, way, I, that general. I didn't get the can we recast does. that guy, please? Like, wh- what's going on with that performance? Like, you've I mean, got, yes, you got. It didn't bother you, me. You've got the realism me. of all these like real people, and then you've got this guy who talks like this, and he's the evil general. Who... Yeah. What does he say at the beginning? It's like very good, very, much, muchos, muchos good. <laughs> Whatever he said, repeats everything he says. Vigo Rodriguez, Javier Rodriguez, Rodriguez. Yeah. Oh my God, that performance yeah. was in a different movie. Um, 
Yeah, uh, but that's part of why what you're what you're alluding to is part of maybe why I was a little less interested in his storyline is that it was maybe because it's in, it's subtitled a lot of the time, but I was I didn't follow it quite as well. But his performance and his character is so sympathetic. I mean that that final shot of the movie when he's watching the baseball game makes the movie like it's totally. just he's watching all of these kids with everything that we've just seen in the back of our head you of like, like baseball what's going to happen um, is just so so powerful um and that's i i think we're gonna f- say that about a lot of these storylines i mean i don't know that there's a lot of power in what happens through the Catherine Seta jones and don Cheadle storyline but that's there's a lot of the action movie elements of this movie in that like mm. and which is a whole nother genre that's that's put into this movie that makes it so exciting that i if i had a critique i was I did find that maybe this movie was moving a little slow at for the first hour or so, and I was like, I remember being a little bit more engaged and this movie sucking me in a little bit more, but that all went away. I found, like, as everything started to come together, it was it was great. Like, I really liked the structure. I thought it was masterful. Yeah, I mean, I think the interesting thing about the Don Cheadle um, storyline is just how how futile it is and and oh, they get the, that line from miguel ferreira yeah yeah miguel ferreira is amazing he's in this, so by good. the way yeah tattoo in the penis yep i still i still remember that from originally saying he's so he just good. delivers that so and and he makes so many good points like he's like what if my drugs had gone through some people would get high your partner would still be alive that's you know the worst of it and those people who were going to get high from his drugs probably found other drugs to get high from so the no, fact he, that he the the better one is when he says that you you arrested me to shut down a cartel because that the other cartel wanted shut down. Like yeah, well, there's also that part too. The other cartel. But my point is that Don Cheadle's character still just fights at the end. He's fighting for something because yeah. it's just how he was trained and what he knows, even though it does seem futile in the end. And I think that that part of it is really interesting and and the way that that's demonstrated is really powerful i was i was worried a little bit how this movie would age um because if you think about it like it's it's about a lot of rich white people um and it's directed by steven soderbergh and i was and you know you see at first you see um you know topher grace and erica christensen go to this neighborhood that's all black people to get their drugs and and Michael Douglas goes down there to try to figure out what's going on, and he's like, "I'll I'll pay you money." And I was wondering, I was like, "Okay, I, like, is this okay?" But Topher Grace, of all people, has this amazing line where he says, "This could so easily be reversed if if all of these people came to came to your neighborhood and offered to pay you all this money for drugs, you'd start selling them too." And and I think this movie was like really. Progressive's not the right word, but very aware of of what is going on in the world. And well, you quickly realize that really nicely. How sort of bullshit? How full of shit Michael Douglas's character is. Like he's yeah. not, not, not like he he's he's. I'm sorry. He's his, got a good. Job. Yeah, he's got a good head on his shoulders, but his job is just totally futile. And um, and I mean, even with that line. Lee, I think Topher Grace. I mean, he's also like I. I love the, I love the white character who's going down to buy drugs. You know, flipping the script on. I mean, I think like he's right, but he, it's also a ridiculous thing to say at the same time. I know. You know, he just like launches into this tirade about the three hundred percent markup that you can make yeah. in an hour, and then yeah. take the rest of the day off. I'm like, did you rehearse this? Like, um, I th- I thought weird that he was good. He's just like he so is. He's really good in it. Pre- perfect he's like casting, every yeah. kid we went to high school with. Lee. I know he's great in it. I loved him in this movie. I also think Erica Christensen is really good. And what yes. happened to her? I was she's like, you great. never saw her again. But she's really good in this. Uh, movie. Hello, swim fan. Of course, swim fan. And um, what's the what's the movie where with Chris Evans where they try to steal the SAT scores, SAT results? That's she's in that too. SAT heist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> not not another team movie. Um I do want to talk about traffic's influence on other drug movies and and TV shows like The Wire. 
like the wire like narcos i like um, i like the wire guys i'm not saying i don't like the wire it's just i think it's i, I think people just okay continue well traffic's doing a lot of things that we then see again and again in this sort of genre or subgenre, however you want to call it because for whatever reason or maybe the reasons are obvious when you're dealing with drugs it's in in sort of the vastness of it you have a you have to have a lot of storylines and you see yeah. that in the wire you see that in narcos and you also get traffic the the cinematography the that influence on other stuff you have you also have stuff like sicario where it's like benicio del toro's character was sort of uh started here in traffic and then he's uh you could you could you know, reasonably make an argument that his, his character you know that wide turned. shot you know that wide shot uh, when they show first they show the one side of the border and all like there's no traffic going into Mexico and then they pan yeah. over and there's all that traffic trying to leave Mexico. I saw that shot and I'm like, man, somewhere down there there's about to be this massive shootout that took place in Sicario. <laughs> That's happening yeah. right now in this in the context of this movie. Um. So. Yeah, so not only does this movie just work and it's really good, it's an influential movie, I think. Yeah. But nobody says that. That that's what I sort of find fascinating about Traffic is it's never a movie that's pointed to when you're talking about in its influence on on other shows and movies. Do you guys think this is better than um Gladiator? Yeah. Yes. The one question yeah. I was asking is, is it better than Requiem for me? Because as you guys know, I think that that movie is amazingly done. I think it's a masterpiece. And I wonder if in some ver- some way Traffic is for the same reason, because it employs all these interesting techniques perfectly, and it's effective in just the way that it's supposed to be. So for a lot of the same reasons I made the argument of Requiem for a Dream being a masterpiece, I can almost make the same argument with Traffic. For some reason, I don't. And I think that has a little bit to do with how often I've seen Soderbergh do this. And I feel like this is the best version of that that he's done. Um, well, I don't I know. Think there's, uh, there's, but, such, there's such different movies. I mean, this is more like a Wikipedia article come to life. Whereas yeah. uh, Requiem is such a subjective. This is what it's like to, well, what it's like to take drugs. I mean. Well, it's sort of an amplified version of what you see. Because if you look at Erica Christensen's journey and jennifer connelly's journey i mean they go through a lot of the same things you know mm-hmm. where requiem for dream is much more graphic and uh intentionally amplified i think they're saying a lot of the same things about you know what what drugs do to people and how how your involvement in in them can affect your life and you know that's just one aspect of traffic where it's sort of the whole movie in requiem for a dream um but I, I think there are a lot more similarities because they're done in a very stylistic way. I wonder if you guys agree. In both cases, I feel they're both well done. Um, I, I feel there's a missing piece, which is I never, I never understand why those two fall into drugs um, or stick with it. Or, you know, and and I mean, obviously they're both addicts, and there's a, you know, there's. Are you a, talking about? Connolly and Christensen. Yes, there's a there's a genetic reason for it, of course, but they do in in both cases they reference they sort of hint at a reason. Um, in that one meeting, Erica Christensen says like I'm angry and I'm not really sure why. And I was interested in that because I think there that's kind of like a, a completion of the Michael Douglas story. You know, like you he it's revealed to him that his life isn't perfect and. Um, you know, this kind of perfect life they've built for their family is eroded. Um, but you don't really understand her influence into it. And the same, and, and the same kind of goes with Connolly. Like she's got, as we find out, like wealthy parents and was raised as, as far as we know, pretty, you know, in a, with, with privilege and but I she think falls I, into it as well. Yeah. And I think I don't, I can't give you an example of a movie where you start to understand why that is, but I do think that's something I, I miss from these films. I want to know why, what the appeal of these of drugs I are. I think to these you're people. looking. 
I think you're looking for too much reason. I think that's part of the thing with drugs. Yeah, think about a movie like Beautiful Boy. Like what what's so painful for about Beautiful Boy for me is that Timothy Chalamet's character is raised in like a very affluent environment with good parents, and yeah, his mom and dad were divorced. You never know what that can trigger, but like he yeah. falls into this in the same way. Like, to be honest with you, with Erica Christensen's character, like, I didn't need the scenes as much with her, say, you know, in, in group therapy saying she's angry. Like, no, I like I, that I, opening scene where she's with her her rich prep school friends and they can do whatever they want because their parents are in Barbados and they just do whatever they want. So they experiment with drugs and then they get addicted. And, and I'm not saying, I, I think that that, I, that, I think that's that, more interesting. That scene, I, I I want to be clear is not fulfilling. That's what I'm saying is that right. there it's, but it's on, you can tell it's on their minds. Yeah. But I mean, in my personal experience, like the people I know who've struggled with drugs and alcohol have been, there is that there is an addict gene, but they're people who there's something missing with, with them. There's a, there's a piece that they are filling with that. Like they, it's not like, you know, we're all, we all at 16 years of age are given, X drugs or X alcohol and some of us make it out and some of us don't, you know, it's, it, there's, there's something that drugs or alcohol fulfill that they're missing. And I don't, I don't know if that's always true though. I think it's not always true. It's not always true, but a huge part to it. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'd like the fact that, well, (laughs) that's going to sound bad. I like that. It's portrayed that, that drugs can influence anybody from any socioeconomic background and sort of, you know, take the, take them down with them. You know, it's not about whether a piece is missing or that there's something wrong or there has to be something wrong. It's almost blaming. It's almost putting a blame to it. Sometimes it's just, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, we should move on. Well, I just I had to ask only because I'm curious because I don't really know where I fell on Dennis Quaid in this movie. I don't think oh, I, 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 don't I hate him. I hate him. Oh, really? I hate I him. Think I he's, think he's fine, but I, if I've you never didn't, liked if you didn't him know as an he actor. Was Dennis Quaid, but I think, but that's what's weird about him is like he's not a great actor. I mean, he's fine yeah. and everything. What, what but is he? What is he to them? Is he like he's not their he's lawyer? Like their, I think no, he is like their lawyer, but he's not like a trial yeah. lawyer. That's why they hire the guy from Animal House. Um, but uh, there's this the the one scene that sort of won me over with him is is he's sitting behind Catherine Zeta Jones like after he's talked to her and like he's so clearly like kind of a sleaze bag and he's got this like very subtle look on his face as she's looking the other way and he's like playing with his hair or something and he looks like such a sleaze and I was like he's pulling this off really nicely I didn't know Dennis Quaid had it in him but. Um, I thought he was good. I, in this, I hated but. that. I, I hated. I hated his storyline, and I. I thought the retribution at the end was stupid. What was that? I did too. That yeah, that, 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 that fell out of place. That storyline yeah. didn't seem important. Um, but right. I guess it's maybe to show the, you know, viciousness of, of uh, Manny. <laughs> yeah, from Scarface. Manny, Manny all grown died. up. Yeah. <laughs> He settled down, moved out yeah. west. He told Tony, he's a, like, well, stop dating your sister. I found Catherine yeah. Zeta-Jones. He got himself a Welsh, a British wife, you know, yeah. settled down. Didn't tell her anything. I didn't. I had trouble with Catherine Zeta-Jones' character. Yeah. Because of all the, like, oh, I came from nothing. And she just sounds so, like, pro. And she can't figure out which accent she wants. Yeah, she's for okay. For this movie. Um, she, I, she's another actress. I don't know if she's good. I don't know if she's a good actress. I just she didn't just... believe her in that role. I didn't believe her turning to go and get the drugs herself. I didn't believe her saying, well, just get out of the car and fucking shoot him, shoot in, the him in the head. Like, I do love when that. she brings the guys. That was so stupid. I would have been, like,. Don't call me on a cell phone while you're in the middle of an assassination. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. And also, um, why did you park in the the courthouse yeah, parking lot smart, with the bomb? Yeah. Oh, oh, it didn't work out. I'm going to walk up to these people. Before yeah. we move on, I want to point out this movie won four Oscars and four significant Oscars. Best Director, yeah. Adapted Screenplay, Supporting Actor, and Editing. Both, both these movies we discussed nominated for Best Director and Best Picture. Incredible. Um, which is incredible. One very deserving maybe even should have won the other one not so much but it was a rough year if you look at uh if you it, no, obviously 2000 was good but if you look at the um uh best i think it was the best actress nominees and um, yeah well julia roberts the directing as good as nominees, she was 
is no Ellen Burstyn. Uh, yeah, from Requiem. Yeah. One of my favorite performances of all time. That's best. She was nominated for Best Actress for that? Interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Not supporting. Okay, let's move on. Okay. All right. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this draft-wise because I only have five of let's them. Let's just do I'm the top gonna... five. I think this is more appropriate for a top five. Not going to be able okay. to uh, just come up with one. All right. So then I gotta. So that means we're saving our best for last in this case. Correct. That's how top fives work. If we okay. forgot. <clears throat> so hopefully we. Hopefully we don't have too many repeats. God, I, I wrote these names down in just the years, thinking that I would remember all the movies, and of course now I'm not. <laughs> Good thing you have the internet. Okay, who wants to start? Who wants to? Who want? Who do you want to start, Ooh. Jeremy? Uh, Lee, why don't you start? All right. Uh, I will go with my number five is 1994. Uh, I dealt, One criteria I had was I had to have seen all the movies because there's a lot okay. of that came up on the list that were like, Chapin, why are you always in such a rush and get so pissed? Is it because you're like, know that the, the end is near at the once we get to the <laughs> top five and you're like, now I got all I have in front of me is the rest of the week. I, I live for this, okay? I live. I want this to slow down. I don't, this is the okay. only. It's a highlight of my week. All right. So my Let's number five is criteria. 1994. Jim Carrey's 1994. Dumb and Dumber, Ace Ventura, and The Mask. Uh, that's a good. Pick. I don't love all those movies, but this made him a superstar in the comedy world. Um, you know, Ace Ventura and The Mask. I'd probably have to see again, but Dumb and Dumber is iconic. And I didn't realize until recently that those three all came the same year. That's a great pick. I didn't even think about it. Um, all right. Uh, I'll go next with my number five. So this is not a good pick, but it's I kept it on here because he's, for some reason, the first person I thought of when we, we came up with this because he had <clears throat> such a year in 2015. Um, and it's Domhnall Gleeson. Oh, fuck. Because uh, he was in The Revenant. He was in Brooklyn. He was in, I think Ex Machina came out the year, but it was like yeah, right on the look. border. So it was released yeah. in April of, of 2015, but it, IMDb says it's a 2014 I movie. I think it, we're going to call, we'll call it Ex Machina, and he was in Star Wars. And I was, that that's sort of when, I, every time you saw, saw a movie, this kid was yeah, in it. Yeah, he was like, in What the hell? I know. So that's my, uh, that's my number five. Fuck. Okay. Very good. Um, okay. My number five, this is purely because of the quality of the two movies. Um, neither performed mm-hmm. very well at the box office, but it'll be 1995. Can anybody guess the actor? 95? 1995. Uh, t- uh, no, not Tom Hanks. No, I don't know. Iconic. Robert oh, De Niro. Heat and Casino. I thought about that, yeah. Um. I mean, two I mean, the classic And two, like, epic movies, too. Epic, epic movies. That's a good one. Thank you. Um, all right. My number four, I was trying with actors, especially, I was trying to find situations where there are more than, more than two movies, but that, I also wanted them to be good movies. They couldn't just be, like, you know, yeah. inconsequential, just they were in everything. Um, but in this case, my number four, this actor was only in two movies in 2007, but they were The Assassination of Jesse James and The Coward Robert Ford and Gone Baby Gone, Casey Affleck. Excellent. Oh. That's an excellent choice. All right. Uh, my number four, we'll switch on over to the directors. <clears throat> and it's a little known director uh, from 1954. It's Alfred Hitchcock. You've literally stolen two of my picks. It's uh, he had Rear Window and Dial M for Murder that year. Um, yeah, I mean, what else can you say? Those are two classic movies. Yeah, one of my criteria was was leaving all the pretentious picks to you guys. Um, all right, perfect. Mm, Good well, criteria. Wait till you get to my next pick, Chapin. <laughs> You'll love it. <laughs> Going way back. Okay, it's your turn, right? No, it's yours. Okay, um, my number four. Want to make sure I represent the ladies here. And it's going to be Dame Jennifer Lawrence, 2012. She was nominated for an, or she won Best Actress for Silver Linings Playbook and kicked off the Hunger Games series, which will keep her in whatever she likes to wear for the rest of her life. 
little known, little fact, I'd also like to point you to this year in Steven Soderbergh's career when he directed Haywire and Magic Mike and connecting us back to Jennifer Lawrence was for some reason the second unit director on Hunger Games. <laughs> really? Yeah. Why? I have no idea. God. Uh, Francis so Lawrence dir- is like, shit, two, man, I need... Two pretty good movies, and then it was, uh, was for some reason, second unit director on a huge, big-budget Hollywood Did franchise. Francis Lawrence direct the first one or the second one? I think the first one. Because I always remember the first one was just, like horribly directed so it's oh funny no gary ross gary, gary ross, ross. Yeah. francis lawrence did the second one who also directed i am legend um yeah but <laughs> he's the studio's just like gary ross you're fucking this thing up we got to get some uh, uh we can't fire you so we're gonna bring in a second unit director maybe you've Honestly, heard of him. <laughs> I, I don't think that's it i think soderbergh is just like wants the challenge because he's he, just bored he does he soderbergh sh- just he shot magic mike 2 but didn't direct it what? Why? <laughs> he must just have a terrible home life. Yeah. I can't. I can't make it. Uh, yeah. Got to be second unit oh, you know, director. They of couldn't. They Hunger couldn't find a DP game. for the sequel to Magic Mike. So the funny thing I... is, like, I think of second unit, and I'm like picturing like the the pickup shot of the car driving by. Like, yeah. That's, that's yeah, what he's like directing. He's like, let's let's things. do that yeah. again. <laughs> um. All right. My number three. This is. I mean. It's good that this is on the list. 1939, Victor Fleming directs Gone with the Wind and uh. Wizard of Oz. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, Gone with but the they, wind, were direct, they were like no directing like 15 movie. movies a, a year back then. I know, but that's still kind of incredible. I know. I mean, he picked, he took over from George, for George Cukor on Gone with the Wind. Um, Didn't he pick up from somebody on Wizard of Oz too? Yeah, there's a bunch of directors yeah. on both those films. Well, anyway, he he was. He was back, the, th- back then. It was just the guy who said action. Like literally, that yeah. was his job to say. It's like PA's yelling action and yeah. like, oh, we'll give you ah, the, director the director credit. <laughs> <laughs> Tap those shoes together. See where it takes you. All right, Jeremy, you're up. Number three. All right, my number three is Sir Jamie Fox from 2004. Oh, yeah. He was in Ray, which I know we don't love the movie, but was one, a great performance. One for and, the wrong movie, though. And he was in. Collateral. Yep, nominated for both. Brilliant. Yep. Somehow a supporting actor in Collateral. Somehow, yeah. <laughs> oh, he's in it ten seconds left less than Tom Cruise, so he's supporting. Is that true? No, I'm totally that can't joking. Be true. Yeah. Okay. My turn. Yep. My number third three is my pretentious pick of the list, and that's Francis Ford Coppola, <sighs> 1974, <sighs> baby. Yeah. The conversation they- and Godfather. Two, yeah, that's holy, that's incredible, hideous. Um, all right, that's, he that's, won for Godfather two. I don't. He wasn't nominated for a Conversation, but both were nominated for Best Picture. So, all right, my, my number two. This is why. This is why the top five going this way. I, I don't like. I like the draft because now I got to put this in number two to make sure I get it in. It's Nineteen my number two. Nineteen ninety three. Steven Spielberg. Yeah, Jurassic Park two. and Schindler's List. So I, I figured that was going to be on your guys' list. So I will see your 1993 and raise you with Lost 2002. World in nope, nope, 2002. Catch me if you can. Minority, Minority Report. Report. Yeah, very I mean good. that's a pretty comparable yeah. year. Yep, it is. Although right. he won like what the two movies he directed in '93. I think what they won a total of 12 Oscars or something. I mean that's like, the best year. But if you're going to follow it up with another year, Jesus. Sure. Yeah. He did it again, and I, I, you could also say 2005. Munich! Oh, Munich! If any of us War get the laid worlds. tonight, it's because of Eric Bana in Munich. Yeah. Um, All the worlds. All right, my number one, 1974 Coppola. Uh, that's my number one as well, 1974 Coppola. My number one is Tom Cruise, 1996. It's a clear uh, winner. I thought about 96, but Jerry Maguire kind of sucked last time I saw it, so... Oh well, I just thought I, I thought we were going for like careers, not so much like quality, but quality too. I mean, that's a that's a that's a flex year. I mean, so counts. Yeah. Okay. Is that your number one, Chapin? That's my number one. I can't give so you what another. What number. other movies were there? Jerry Maguire, Mission Impossible, and Mission Impossible, Mission Impossible. Okay. Gotcha. I um 
2002, John C. Riley was in The Good Girl, Chicago, The Hours, and Gangs of New York. Three of that would have been big, that would have been a good that, pick. that's a good yeah. one. Big um, Oscar I mean, nominated none of movies. Those, none of those movies are any good. I know um, that's the problem. <laughs> I'll give you. I'll see you on this particular fact. 1998 for Leo DiCaprio. So he was. Um, uh, he was. Number one at the box office still in March with Titanic and then Man in the Iron Mask. Not a great movie, but came in at number two. He was number one and number two at the box office. Wow. That's pretty incredible. DiCaprio still still has that that muscle, too. Oh, I have another well, one. I have another one. Um, DiCaprio in 2010. Uh, 2010? Yeah. Which was what? Shutter Island and Inception. Inception Shutter Island. Oh, yeah. that's, a, that's an even better one. But he had a couple, didn't he? He had Wolf of Wall Street and something else in 2011, too, didn't he? Uh, yes, and uh, 2013, uh, Wolf of Wall Street and oh, yeah. The Great Gatsby. That I hate Gra- get Great Gatsby so much that I couldn't b- put it on my list. But, yeah, I didn't like um, it either. I'll give you another bad. one. It's got a good cast. Tom Hanks, 93, Sleepless in Seattle, and won the Oscar for Philadelphia. Yep. He had uh, a great back to back to back. I think it went like Philadelphia, Forrest Gump, Apollo thirteen. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean the nineties. He owned the nineties. Fuck. Yes, and then two years after that was Saving Private Ryan. What do you do in ninety six? Anything? <laughs> Nothing. Pathetic. Pathetic. Lazy. Yeah. <laughs> he directed um, the, that thing you do. God. Oh, God, he should never have gotten behind the camera. How dare you not play an American hero that year? Oh god. Leo did The Departed and so Blood bad. Diamond in 2006. He's had it for somebody who it seems like doesn't make a lot of movies. He's had right, a well, few now years he does where it. he he like he took 4 years off between The Revenant and What's Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like who, have, I mean, only to. he could do that. Cuz he had to cuz he it's really got too eaten many by models a bear. to fuck. <laughs> uh, I'll give you another one Zemeckis in 2000. Yeah, I don't know about that. One. Two huge movies, Lee. I know, but wh- who cares about What Lies Beneath? I think it's a good movie, but it doesn't matter. It made a shit ton of money. See, I was looking for, for art, for real art. Not oh, just, we know that. Not just box office success. Okay. Hence, Gone with the Wind. That was a good <laughs> list, guys. I think that's a good idea. I like that one a lot. I'm sure we missed some. Feedback at GetYourFilmFixPodcast.com. Yeah, it was actually a hard thing to research. Um I was hope yeah. uh, would have been nice to be able to find like maybe even like somebody like somebody who wrote a script for a movie in a year and then also directed something else or even acted oh, yeah, something that's else. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Um, because I'm sure there's been some big some big years for people that we didn't that we didn't cover. Um, I, I, well, le- think- I left off all convicted pederasts, or else I would have had a really good um. Yeah, Kevin Spacey. Yeah, Woody Allen or, or Kevin, Kevin Spacey. Yeah. Kevin Spacey's 1995 was seven unusual suspects. Oof. Yeah, that's a really good one. Um, yeah. All right. Well, that's going to wrap that it up note. for this, <laughs> this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. <laughs> Let uh, us know your favorite pederast. Feedback. Yes. Get your film what was your favorite Kevin Spacey year? Was it 2017? <laughs> Feedback <laughs> at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.